0: Hello and welcome to the last of three podcasts exploring the relationship and tensions between harmony and freedom. They have been made in association with the Berggruen Institute's Philosophy and Culture Centre, the goal of which is to develop fresh ideas through comparative and interdisciplinary work and relate these insights to the pressing issues of our day. Harmony is as core a value in classical Chinese thought as freedom is in the modern West, and it is often thought that the two conflict, with major political implications. Now, it's certainly true that the harmony of our discussion was somewhat disturbed by the freedom of people outside the room to prepare for a lecture. Hopefully, not too much to detract from your listening pleasure. Generally speaking, however, the three broadly Confucian scholars in today's episode deny there is a fundamental conflict between freedom and harmony, arguing they are in, well, harmony. They are. Chen Yang Li, founding director of the Philosophy Programme at Nanyang Technological University, Singapore, and the author of The Confucian Philosophy of Harmony. Anna Sun, associate professor of sociology and Asian studies at Kenyon College, an author of Confucianism as a World Religion. And David Wong, Susan Fox-Besher and George D. Besher, professor of philosophy at Duke University, and the author of Natural Moralities, A Defense of Pluralistic Relativism. I began by asking Chen Yang Li to explain the difference between positive and negative harmony.
1: Uh, negative harmony is merely lack of a conflict, it's a pure accord, pure agreement. And a positive harmony involves more than that, it involves mutually active engagement to create a synergy, to enable people involved to have more freedom.
0: So in like a family context, for example, negative harmony would simply be we're not arguing with each other and we're not fighting. But positive harmony be, would be we're taking an interest in each other, we're, we're engaging with each other. Is that a good example?
1: Yeah, that would be good analogy. Yeah. yeah, good examples.
0: So that's harmony, and it's a positive value. It's not the same as sameness, though, is it, David Wong? That's right.
2: I guess I've been working on positive harmony in Chen Yang's terms. Uh, and positive harmony does involve relationships of mutual concern and respect and trust, and striving to meet each other's needs and engaging in common project. But that will inevitably involve individuals with different views and different interpretations, even of the values that they share. They will disagree about the best way to achieve those values, even as they engage in common project. So there is a need to recognize the inevitability of disagreement that a certain amount of disagreement is needed and healthy if we are going to draw on the resources of, of multiple minds uh, with their different experiences and their different skills and strengths. All that can increase the resources from which people engaged in Common Project can, can draw from. Uh, But there is always danger of disagreement imploding (laughs) the group engaged in common project. So I I think that all societies have had to hold as a value the will, the desire, the resolve to stay in constructive relationship with others uh, despite one's disagreement. And I think that, in fact, We have exhibited that, not not, uh, always, regrettably, often perhaps not, but there have been times when we have been able to stay together. Families do it, despite their fights, they they resolve to stay together, and there are various strategies that uh, uh, we employ to do so. Sometimes we compromise, everyone's interests get met to some degree, we also are able to affirm that we have interest in each other, and that can help us stay in constructive relationship.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah. I think uh, I agree with David. You know, uh, a difference can be different kinds, and uh, we can bring different perspectives into a common cause, and that will enrich the common cause. And uh, we also have. Different interests. I think uh, sometimes, often, it's inevitable we have a different interest. When we come, we still have to work together, even though with a different
0: interest. Yeah, Uh, Emerson.
3: And I think to use an example, Chen Yang himself has mentioned making music is a great way to imagine the making of harmony. So if two people come in with the same instrument, playing the exact same notes, you wouldn't have music. You have to have different uh, interests, you have different views. And yet you have to listen to each other, you cannot have a violinist and a pianist playing without listening, without hearing each other, that wouldn't be making music. And of course in a larger society it's more like an orchestra with very diverse instruments.
0: So we've got this idea then that harmony certainly isn't just uniformity and sameness, there's a certain amount of diversity within that. And so that begins to answer the criticism that it's incompatible with freedom. But you'd go further than that, Chen Yang, you, you argued that real, real freedom cannot be realized in disharmony. And that harmony is kind of a condition, necessary condition for freedom. Is that right?
1: I think harmony enables people to be more free. And uh, it create a, a kind of a, a environment where we can maximize our freedom. Without harmony, we will fight each other and we will, you know, interfere with each other. Then our freedom will be uh, limited. And only in a harmonious uh, arrangement, when there is a good order, we can exercise our freedom, you know, in a maximum way.
0: That's a related point that you made, David, is that, again, one of the sort of, Perhaps caricatures of the sort of harmony is it's a collective ethic, it's a collectivism in which your individual interests have to be subordinated to that of the group. What what's wrong with that description of, of harmony? So here is where I think that uh,
2: a Confucian conception of harmony does have to refer to how people are related to one another, how we view at least part of our identities as involved with others who are close to us, our family, uh, our teachers, members of our community. We're sociable. That means that um, we conceive who we are partly in, in relation to our parents, our, our, our siblings, uh, our teachers, our, 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 the communities of which we are active members. And we conceive of our goods as bound up with contributing to those others and linked with the goods of those others. But uh, then that means that it makes little sense to speak of those others as somehow comprising the group to which you must somehow subordinate yourself. You are part of that group. You are uh, part of those people who make up that group as well as you do. Mm. And they, they have that same attitude towards you. So rather than our goods being subordinated to the community or some group, uh, our goods are connected to others in that, in the community and group. That's not to deny that there isn't conflict even though our goods interrelate and overlap, There is, there, there is conflict, because we're pretty complex beings. Mm. But that means then that when there is conflict, there's got to be a respect paid to the importance of each person who makes up that group, and attempt to come to some Sat- satisfactory balance of reconciliation between all the individuals involved. And I think that, that no one can be permanently uh, subordinated in yeah. <laughs> a group. I think there are times when we all, as individuals, have to uh, give a bit more uh, th- uh, than others perhaps. And there are times when, when some of us are perhaps called upon to make great sacrifice. But that's not because the group is greater than us. It's because we recognize and it's part of our own individual goods to acknowledge that maybe what's most important to us is in some some cases that others great needs are are met. Yeah. Uh, and sometimes we might have to sacrifice to see that that's so. But it, it should be in terms of what's meaningful what can be made
0: meaningful for the individual, not simply being told that the group stands over the individual. Yeah. Okay, now what, one other thing you talk about, and this is also something Anna, Anna talks about, is the role of kind of ritual in kind of helping to facilitate this mm-hmm. kind of harmony. Perhaps I know you should, could say a little bit first. Um, you know, we think of ritual, and we think of uh, you know, things which perhaps belong to a bygone age, and we think that China's not a religious country anymore, but Uh, You've done studies which suggest that ritual remains a very important part of life in China today. Could you say a little bit about that?
3: Uh, Indeed. Um, If you look at our everyday life, um, in the West as well as in the East, ritual plays a very big part. I make the distinction between religious rituals and social rituals. For example, the proper ways of behaving um, at dinner is what I would call social ritual and what you do in a temple or church would be religious ritual. And in China, you see a great revival of the importance of both. So um, at least 80% of the people in China today engage in some kind of rituals, venerating uh, the spirits of their deceased family members, what we call ancestral rites. And in everyday life, Many different forms of social rituals are taken seriously, such as the way a child behaves towards his or her teacher, the way uh, in the family how uh, the elderly should be respected, um, how a brother should treat his or her younger brother or sister. These different ways of behavior are embodied experiences that have values embedded in them.
0: Mm-hmm. And, and, and what are those values? I mean, what, what's the real function of these rituals for people? Well, for example, in, in rituals
2: of, of mourning, in, in some way we, we show our bonds with each other by seeking to give solace to each other, by acknowledging with each other um, our loss. In that circumstance, that, that is a way of showing our, our mutual care and respect in everyday rituals, simply in the way we take meals with each other. In having dinner with my Berggruen fellows, uh, I was reintroduced to the Chinese custom of, of having someone serve me. <laughs> <laughs> and that, that is a very uh, Chinese way of showing care. These small gestures, when I think woven into the fabric of everyday life, serve as reminders of what we should be about with
0: respect to each other. I mean, in this sense, is the term ritual, though, perhaps a little bit misleading for a Western audience? Because you're talking about what we might call etiquette and its prop- mm-hmm. propriety in other words, sometimes mm-hmm. used for translation, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Oh.
1: The, the, uh, com- here in the Confucian tradition, when we talk about rituals, we refer to the concept of a li, which originally refers to religious rituals. But later on, it evolved into a much more comprehensive notion. It covers virtually all kind of norms, rules, and protocols we do in life. Mm-hmm. When you meet someone, you shake a hand with that person. That is under the concept of Li. And as David said in how we eat at a dinner table, is a matter of Li, and the Confucian view is that how we become civilized, how we act with each other in a civilized manner in society.
0: Yeah. Um,
3: in some ways you can think about Li, especially the comprehensive kind that governs almost every aspect of life, as a script for harmony. So they are the proper ways of behaving at dinner, proper ways of behaving in politics, um, proper way of behaving with one's parents or with one's friends.
0: I mean, think one thing interesting about that is I think in the West, a lot of people imagine that the decline of such everyday rituals is a sign of, of a kind of liberation. We're freed from these shackles. I mean, is there something in that, Or are people misunderstanding what freedom is in some way?
1: I think Lee evolves. And what we understand as a ritual, proper ritual, also changes over time. As a society evolves, we adopt new rituals, new proper protocols, and we also you know, uh, abandon some old ones. And uh, that is you know, appropriate as society changes. That is an
3: excellent point. For example, traditional uh, Confucian rituals have the reputation of being patriarchal. Mm -hmm. But in fact, if you look at the Confucian rituals being performed today, gender equality is being performed. um, So one doesn't only revere one's father, but also one's mother, Mm -hmm. and so on. But you you ask a very good question. What happens if we don't have ritual, if we don't have this script for civility or Mm -hmm. harmony? Well, try to imagine a symphony orchestra all performing in co- according to his or her own will with no, uh, with no musical score. That would be rather chaotic. Mm-hmm. So, I would
2: say we, if we don't have our, our everyday rituals in particular, we, we lose a great deal of our ability to work with each other, to engage in common project, and to deal with our disagreements. I think that our, the, the state of American political life is a good example of what happens when you lose... The rituals of civility, uh, the sense of regarding respectfully others, even as one disagrees with them. If it must always be that it's a competition and and, uh, my object is to win from my side, we're going to have, you know, spectacles of dysfunction like the one we
0: have now. And in some, sense, it's in, it's in some sense, it also marks a diminution of freedom because yes. yeah, at the moment of refusing to conform, you get a sort of micro-freedom, but it yeah. actually diminishes our capacity to achieve what we want to achieve as yes. individuals, That's as brilliant. well as in society. I mean, one thing just to end up perhaps on, Anna Sun, I mean, you, you, rituals is only part of it, but you, you think we kind of need, you use this term, civic religion, which is perhaps... Uh, a tricky one, but anyway, there's some, we need some sense of like shared values and rituals will be part of how we instantiate them. In order, well, in order for what, why do we need that?
3: In order for the people to hold their government accountable. So an, the idea of civil religion goes back to Rousseau, um, which is a concept came about in the 1960s in the United States. As a way to hold our own government in the United States accountable during the time of Vietnam War. So the notion is that by holding certain shared values sacred, we can say we as a people demand political changes. We as a people demand certain values to be respected. Mm.
0: So, this is, we present obviously a positive view of harmony, which is not surprising because we have a, a Confucian um, panel here, but I think it is recognised that it's a, it's a concept which can be abused, and there are both contemporary and historical examples of harmonisation actually being a way of subordination, which is what you're against, David. Is that right?
1: Yes, I think so. I, I think as uh, virtually any concept that can be abused and uh, harmony in Confucianism as a concept as a philosophy definitely has been abused and I would say that uh, in any society whether we call it harmonious or not there are always some element of harmony and some element of domination or disharmony coexisting at the same time and usually it's the government interest to control society and there is a tendency to go with the domination in the name of harmony. And therefore, for philosophers and scholars, it's our duty to make sure the concept is clearly explained and applied appropriately, not being uh, be used.
0: Yeah, and actually related to that, First so am I correct to say that the word is actually a, a verb in origin? Is that right? Yes, yes.
1: The, 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 the word we often use for harmony in Chinese is "he," mm. which originally is a verb, it's mm. going to be used to mix things, to, mm. to uh, get things mingled together in the proper uh, portion to come up with the best result.
0: And, uh, yeah. and, and that actually reflects what you were saying, I think I was saying as well, that we have to see harmony. is it's not kind of a, a, a static end state we reach. It's an ongoing process. Of yes, it,
1: it's to constant adjustment yeah. and mutual adjustment.
0: Well, look, very interesting. Thank you very much, Chen Yang Li, David Wong and Anna Sun. The next podcast will complete our parallel series on hierarchy and equality. To keep up to date, subscribe to the Micro Philosophy iTunes feed or follow me on Twitter at microphilosophy, And do check out the work of the Berggruen Institute's Philosophy and Culture Centre at philosophyandculture.berggruen.org. So until next time, if nothing prevents, goodbye.